As you're turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 tonight, I just had to share from last week. Last week was just one of those weeks, you know, uh, one of those nights. You know, it was the first mind back of the new year. You know, you want to hope everything is okay and you get off to a good start. And, and yet God reminded me last week that he's bigger than all the stuff type of thing. So like last Tuesday, I was a little bummed. Uh, you know, the screens weren't working, so we didn't have words for worship, which always obviously affects us being able to really sing out if we, we don't know the song. And, and then we were having a glitch with the microphone and it kept popping and stuff. And then I know most of you didn't know this, but if you paid for this class last week, I would have offered your money back because I, I just felt like I was not on top of my game last Tuesday at all. I, I had an abscess tooth last Tuesday night. I had to get a root canal done on Wednesday. And uh, I was in a lot of pain. And it was so funny, though, at the dentist's office that afternoon, he says, now, now, Jeff, he said, we can give you some Vicodin. I'm like, you don't understand. I got to teach a Bible study. Although maybe they won't know any different if I take Vicodin. I, I don't know. So I was up here last Tuesday and just I, I went home. I was just like, oh, Lord, I said, I, I hope that for those of you that were here last week, just sort of like wipe last Tuesday out of your mind because that was not the way I wanted to get started on the new year. But then God reminded me throughout the week that uh, many folks were sharing with me how Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1 really spoke to them last week. And, and God just reminded me, Jeff, I'm bigger than a tooth. I'm bigger than a screen. I'm bigger than a microphone. I'm bigger than all that. So once again, God, God reminded me of that. And then secondly, before we dive into it, Many of you who come to the mind, you, you really also share how much you like the, the sort of the style that I teach the Bible with, the whole verse by verse through a book of the Bible. So I just wanted at the beginning of a new year just to share with you real quickly uh, some other venues. If, if you're interested, I'd love to have you, but obviously I understand, you know, you have other things serving conflict of schedule. So real quick. If you are interested in studying the Bible and you don't mind getting up early on Sunday morning, uh, at 8 o'clock in room A104, we have just started a study in the book of 1 Samuel. And uh, we're really having a good time. We've only been in it for a couple weeks. If, if you just want to you know, study the Bible verse by verse like we do on Tuesday night and you're looking for something on Sunday like that, We'd love to have you. At 9.15, for those of you out there that are married or you're couples, you're engaged, you're dating, whatever, my wife and I do a couples class at 9.15 in room A104 as well. And right now we're going through the book of First Peter. And uh, so if any of you as couples are interested, and I will say this, because uh, we have a lot of great small churches down that hallway there. And if you're a couple or you've been married for less than five years, I would encourage you to go to Steve and Patty Brown's class called After I Do, which meets at 1035 in room A103, all the way down at the end of the hall. But if you've been married more than five years, my wife and I would love to have you. If you're not going to any other small church, we don't want to pull you away from another small church, but maybe you would like that. I think it would be a great encouragement for your marriage and your relationship. We'd love to have you at 915 in room A104. Obviously, Tuesday night, the mine. Uh, on Wednesday uh, morning, starting the 20th of January, for you ladies that can make it, uh, I'm going to be starting a new study for our ladies' Bible study as part of the women's ministry in the student center on Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock through the Minor Prophets of the Old Testament, uh, looking at Hosea through Malachi this semester, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, January the 20th, that starts. Wednesday, Wednesday morning, January the 20th. And then... 
Many of you have seen the announcements uh, the last couple weeks uh, uh, talking about a basic Bible prophecy class. And I just wanted to mention it in here tonight. Uh, we had a really good group Sunday. It started Sunday the 10th, but uh, it's not too late to join. I, I wouldn't encourage anybody to join after this coming Sunday, the 17th. But if you would like to get involved with that, that's only going to be for five more weeks, and we're just diving into it. If you missed last week, I will give you all the notes of the stuff that you missed on this Sunday, and it starts at five o'clock in the afternoon in room A104, and it's for five more weeks. We're going to be looking at Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus teaching on the end times. What does Jesus say about the end times? And we had a really good crowd Sunday afternoon. Uh, and that was in spite of the fact that I was competing against the greatest playoff game in NFL history, the Arizona Cardinal beating the Green Bay Packers. So I even had people who come up to me and said, Jeff, I'm going to be there the next week, but this week I'm staying home and watching the Cardinals. So, you know, at least they were up front, they were honest, whatever. So I think we're going to have a pretty good crowd there this Sunday. So if any of you are interested, please feel free to come and join us this Sunday night as well. All right. Second Corinthians. Last week, as we dove into this new book, this new semester study, uh, one of the things I shared was that my sort of subtitle for 2 Corinthians is Second Wind. And that's what I want you to think about when you open up your Bibles and you turn to 2 Corinthians at any time, think of Second Wind. Second Wind simply meaning an energy for a renewed effort to continue on. Energy for a renewed effort to continue on. That's what God wants to use 2 Corinthians to do in our lives. That's why he inspired Paul to write it to the Corinthians, because the Corinthians were ready to roll up the white flag and give up and say, we're done. We are living in Corinth. This is a hard place to live. It's a hard place to be a Christian. It's a hard place to witness. There was all kinds of trouble in that area. There was political trouble and and economic trouble and trouble in homes and trouble in lives and all of this. And and they just had had enough. And so God is inspiring Paul to write this so that through what they have come to be reminded of and, and what they will learn through this letter, God wants to use his living letter to to grab a hold of their hearts and once again just give them a new boost of energy so that they can keep on keeping on. Um, There's only one kind of person that, that God, in a sense, can't use, and that's someone who quits. And God never wants any of us to quit, no matter what we've been through, no matter what. God wants us to keep on keeping on. And God's going to give us all the encouragement, all the reminders of the resources and everything that we need to get that second wind and keep on keeping on in the book of 2 Corinthians. The other thing we learned last week is there's two key verses in 2 Corinthians. We looked at them quickly by way of introduction last week. They are 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1 and 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 16. And for those that weren't here last week, I just wanted to touch on these because really the whole book centers around this. Uh, In verse 1 of chapter 4, he talks about not being discouraged. And in verse 16, he talks about not coming to a point of despair. And both of those words in the Greek language means a lack of renewal. So what we learned last week is that you and I are prone to discouragement. We are prone to end up in a despair mode if we do not allow God to continue to renew us. And we learned in verse 16 of chapter 4 that God wants to renew us every day. 
Because if we don't get that God renewal in our lives every day, we will start to tilt towards discouragement and despair. As I shared last week, that's why many of you, you don't go and you can't go. You don't want to go from Sunday to Sunday to be renewed. You come out on Tuesday night to be renewed again. And, and hopefully all of us throughout the week is, is picking up the Bible and we are allowing God to renew us every day so that that discouragement and despair doesn't start to creep into our lives. We'll see The discouragement and despair was already in the lives of the Corinthians. And so Paul writes this letter, again, encouraging them to the second win. A couple things then we saw in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians last week to encourage us is this. Notice in chapter 1, verse 3, Paul reminds them that God is the God of all comfort. And that is the Greek word paraklesis, which means one who comes alongside to help. It is the same word that's used in the New Testament to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said, I'm going away, going back to my Father after I uh, resurrect from the dead, I'm going to send another comforter, paraklesis, to you. One who's going to come alongside and help you throughout your Christian life. In fact, the cool thing, as we're going to even see tonight, is God not only sent the Holy Spirit to come alongside to help us, but to come inside to help us. Because when we become a Christian, the Bible teaches the Holy Spirit comes into us and dwells within us to be our helper. So that's one of the things we learned to continue to keep on keeping on. The other thing we learned is this. God will allow trouble and suffering, verse 4 of chapter 1, so that we have a greater ability to support others to encourage them, to refresh them, to strengthen them when they go through hard times. When he says in verse 4 that God comforts us in all our troubles so that we may be able to comfort those experiencing any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Sometimes it's not about us, but sometimes God allows us as Christians to go through pressing and pressures and trials and suffering and tribulation so that in a sense he can expand us to the point where we have a greater ministry where we are able to minister to more people by the experiences that we've went through and 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 we have by experiencing how God has strengthened us through those and how he's brought us through and then God begins to bring us in contact throughout the rest of our lives with people who need to hear what we needed to hear from someone when we were there as well. The other thing that we learn here in chapter 1, in verse 5, is that even though the suffering may exceed our limits, which is what the word overflow means in verse 5, or abound, just as the sufferings of Christ overflow or abound toward us, meaning they go beyond our limits. And as I shared last week, many of us have been in places in our life where we said, this is beyond me, this is beyond my limits. And they quote the verse and they misquote the verse from 1 Corinthians where they, they always, we always quote as Christians, well, the Bible says God doesn't give us any more than we can handle. And they quote 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. We need to study that verse. That's not really what that verse means, but that's what we've heard it means throughout our Christian life. So when we get to a place in our life where we think something is beyond ourselves, we get discouraged and we start to despair because we think that the Bible says God won't give us more than what we can handle. But that's exactly what the Bible says, that God many times will allow situations into our life that is bigger than us, that actually overflows us and exceeds our limits so that we will drive ourselves to 
God and go to God and recognize that there's a God that there is no limitations to and He can help us through each and everything and I don't have to try to do this on my own in my own power and strength because there will be many things in life that are beyond us, out of our control, but there's nothing beyond God and beyond His control. So that's why He comforts us and encourages us and gives us a second win by this fact, verse 5. If the sufferings of Christ overflow or exceed our limits, so also our comfort through Christ overflows. Meaning that whatever we're going through, when God does give us help and comfort and strength, it will exceed whatever suffering we're going through. So if on a scale of 1 to 10, we say, well, the suffering we're going through right now is an 8 on a scale of 1 to 10, God will give us the comfort of 9 or 10. He will always exceed whatever we're going through with the help that we need to navigate it and get it through. And these, again, are truths that hopefully will begin to inspire the Corinthians to get back up because they've been knocked down or they have fallen down and God wants to give them a second wind to keep on keeping on. That's why Paul gives a personal example from his own life that we looked at at the very end of last week where he says at the end of verse 8 that while we were in Asia, we were burned excessively beyond our strength. There again is that concept of sometimes life is beyond us so that we find God. He's Nothing is beyond Him. And so that's why He allows sometimes things to be beyond us. Because if not, many times we would never see our need for God and never go to God. And then Paul goes on to say, so that we despaired even of living. In other words, Paul is saying, even as the apostles of Christ, we were at the end of ourselves. We didn't have any answers. We were at a total loss. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 9, the only answer we could come up with is physical death. In fact, he said, indeed, we felt as if the sentence of death had been passed against us. This is it. We're done, Paul said. That's the way we felt. But notice why God allowed this in Paul's life, and in the other apostles. Paul goes on to say that this is what he learned. God allowed this in their life so that they would not trust in themselves, but in God who raises the dead. Twofold. God allows these things in our life so that, again, we won't go through life thinking that we've got all the answers, that that, that if we just look harder within ourselves and and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and somehow suck it up a little bit more that somehow we're just going to get through it instead of learning the freedom of depending on God. And in a sense, all we have to do is be sort of a Christian sailboat, if you will, and put up our sail every day and let the wind of God blow us through life. That that would be a lot better and a lot less taxing on us physically, emotionally, and spiritually if we would learn to do that rather than just sort of that grim resignation of just trying to gut it out every day and somehow getting to the end of the day and the end of the week and the end of the month and the end of the year totally spiritually and emotionally and physically exhausted and weighted down. God said it doesn't have to be that way, my friends, that when things come into our life beyond us, all we have to do is learn to trust God at a higher level. And then he says, the other reason was so that we would begin to see that with God, there's no limitations and our faith would grow. Because Paul said, I got to the point, and and we all did, where we recognized that even if they killed us, God can raise the dead. In other words, God could bring something out of nothing. God could breathe new life. And again, give them a second wind to keep on being the apostles that God called them to be. And so at the end of last week, we looked at that great passage in Ezekiel 37 
where the bones of Israel came together and God infused in them new life. And I said, even though that that deals with Israel specifically, that the principle is the same, that when you and I are dried up, when we are spiritually dried up and, and left for dead and think there's no life left, God has a specialty of being able to breathe new life into us through the Holy Spirit and revive us and refresh us and keep us going and giving us that second wind. With that, then notice verse 10. We'll pick it up there tonight. Then Paul goes on to say, He delivered us from so great a risk of death and He will deliver us. Great word in the Greek language, the word delivered that's translated in the English Bible here in verse 10. It's the Greek word rouumai. It is spelled R-H-O-U-M-A-I. And here's what it means. To draw tightly to oneself. Think about what Paul is saying there. It's a great picture of what God does for us when we are in those times where things are beyond us and over our heads and overwhelming us. That what God does is not always take away what we're going through, but He just draws us tighter to Himself and holds us tighter and holds us closer as He walks through whatever we're going through with us. That's a beautiful picture. See, the the next time you and I get to those places in our life where we feel like giving up and where it seems pretty tough, remind yourself of the fact that God is a God who's not only the God of all comfort, but He is a God who delivers us. When we do go through those tough times, He doesn't just cast us aside. He doesn't just tell us, oh, figure it out for yourself, Jeff. No, as one of His children, He brings me even closer to Himself and holds me tight like a loving parent would a child. And then Paul goes on to say that he has the confidence that this is the way God has treated him in the past. This is also the way God is always going to treat him. That every time Paul is in distress, he can count on God delivering him and drawing him close and holding him tight through the storms. That's why Paul goes on in verse 10 to say, we have set our hope on him that he will deliver us yet again. In other words, Paul is confident that if he ever needs to be held tighter again, God will be there to do it. That that whatever he faces, first of all, he's never going to face it alone. He's going to face it with the God of the universe who's going to come into his life to help him and not only help him, but hold him very, very close through the storms of life. And I love this phrase. It's something we all need to look at in our lives. Have we set our hope on him see see paul's using language there he's saying i've gotten to a point where my hope isn't in me it's not in someone else it's set okay it's settled and it's settled on god that's where my hope is see that's why as christians we can always have hope because our hope isn't in things that can change Uh, and things that, that are temporary or whatever, we are setting our hope, according to the Bible, on the unchanging God of the universe, whose character will not change, whose word will not change, and that's why we can have hope. See, again, when we use the word hope in the English language, it's a wish. I hope this happens, I hope that happens. We're, we're wanting something to happen, but we're not sure. 
When the Bible uses the word hope, it is something that we can absolutely be sure and confident about because we're placing our hope in God and in what God has said. And that's why Paul said, I have gotten to the point in my life where one of the reasons I have this second wind in my life is I have learned to settle or set my hope on God. That's why in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19, the writer of Hebrews says that this kind of hope is an anchor for our soul. That's a great picture as well, that no matter what storms the boat is going through, when the anchor goes down and digs into the to the bed of the ocean or wherever that, that, you know, the boat may rock a little bit, but the boat is anchored and God wants us to be anchored and the anchor should be in him. It shouldn't be in anything else. Our anchor should be in God. And and again, it's not that we won't experience storms just like a boat won't, you know, at times It'll have to go through some terrible storms. But if they put their anchor down in spite of the storms, it'll be, have a stability to it. That's why I share with people, very interestingly, throughout the history of Christianity, most people think that the most popular symbol for Christianity is either a fish or a cross. But that's not true. If you go even to the catacombs in Rome today, you will see that the most common symbol used on the walls of the catacombs in Rome is an anchor. The anchor has always been a very important symbol for Christianity. I'm not against the fish. I'm not against the cross, obviously. But there is something special about the anchor. It reminds us of the hope that we have, of the stability and strength that God wants to build into our lives. It reminds us that sometimes life is going to be filled with storms. But if I have my anchor in Him, as Paul said, we have set our hope on Him, then we know He will deliver us yet again. That any time I go through these hard times, God's just going to draw me to himself and hold me tightly. Then notice verse 11. Paul goes on to say, as you also join in helping us by prayer. So that many people may give thanks to God on our behalf for the gracious gift given to us through the help of many. One of the greatest ways that you and I can keep keeping on to have that renewed energy that second wind is prayer having others pray for us like paul recognized the corinthians was doing and even praying ourselves i've said for many years as as i've been in church almost all my life been a pastor now for over 25 years that christians who persevere and endure and and gain that second wind are christians who have a prayer life and and the christians who struggle and who end up discouraged and in despair and just sort of really have a hard time, check out their prayer life. Because the Bible, even Jesus himself teaches that one of the prescriptions for endurance and perseverance in our life is our prayer life. Look at Luke 18, 1 sometime. Jesus said that men ought always to pray and not to faint. The word there is lose heart, give up, become discouraged, enter into despair. Jesus said, men, women, general, men ought always to pray and not to faint. See, when you and I are praying, when we have other people praying, when we're praying together, there is power in prayer. And Paul even acknowledges that God has helped through your prayers. Prayer does make a difference. The church needs to rise up and be a place of prayer. We as Christians, our lives need to be characterized by prayer. That's why the New Testament teaches, pray without ceasing, pray all the time throughout the day, lift up our 
our hearts to God and just keep talking to God throughout the day, showing our dependence because the Greek word for prayer here is the Greek word desis, D-E-E-S-I-S. It means need. And that's really what prayer is all about. It's recognizing and acknowledging I have a need. See, if I, if I don't think I have a need, then why pray? If I think I can figure it out on my own, then why go to God and ask for his help? If, if I don't think there is a need, I won't pray. But if the need is great enough, if the need is big enough, usually it will drive us as Christians to pray. That's part of the reason why God, in his love for us, will allow us sometimes to be overwhelmed so that things are beyond us. Because we all know, if we're honest as Christians, because we've all said this to each other, that it's when crises come into our lives that our prayer life goes up. We spend, naturally, more time praying whenever we're confronted with something. And, oh my, you know, you know, when things are going well, our prayer life and prayer time usually goes down. When things all of a sudden start to turn upside down, and, and now we're faced with some kind of need in our life, oh boy, then we get on our knees and we really start to seek God. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but again, that's the illustration here. The thing that God wants to build into our lives, folks, is that he wants us to realize the need that we have for him at all times so that we will communicate with him. Because like we shared, even in the good times of life, if I know I'm communing with God and fellowshipping with him on a deep level, he can make even the good times in life even better. He can make the times where nothing is going wrong even sweeter if I have that time with him. And then, verse 12, Paul says, For our reason for confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that with pure motives and sincerity which are from God, not by human wisdom, but by the grace of God, we conducted ourselves in the world, and all the more toward you. Paul's identifying something else that can give us a second wind, or at least not cause a drag, if you will, on our life spiritually. And that is maintaining a clear conscience. Paul, Paul basically is saying to the Corinthians, I could lay my head on the pillow at night and everything between me and God was okay. I wasn't up at night, you know, with my conscience bothering me and, and wrestling with, with knowing that I was doing things I shouldn't be doing or whatever. But at the end of the day, not that Paul was perfect, he was a sinner just like the rest of us, but he certainly would acknowledge it, confess it, ask for God's forgiveness and move on rather than trying to cover it up, hide it, or live in two worlds. And Paul says, I lived a transparent life. I lived a sincere life. I lived a life out there for everyone to see. I made my mistakes, but at the end of the day, I kept short accounts with God and I had a clear conscience. That's huge. Because for many of us, we, it, it's one thing to even say no to the Holy Spirit of God and not follow His leading, but God even gives us another check and balance as a human being. And that's our conscience. And every human being has a conscience. I mean, for the Christian, we've got a double whammy. We've got our conscience and the Holy Spirit. But every human being, God has given them a conscience and God wants us to listen to our conscience. Are we listening to our consciences? Are we truly living a transparent life? Or are we playing games? Are we somehow creating uh, something that's not real 
in our lives. Folks, that, that's going to really drag on us. I, I've said for years, I think the most miserable person in the world is not the person that doesn't know Christ. It's the person who does know Christ but has a foot in the world and a foot with God. And they're trying to, they're trying to walk in two worlds. And the reason I know that, because I was that person at one time in my life. I know what kind of drag that is on our life. I know how, how miserable I was because my conscience and the Holy Spirit was always convicting me. And instead of just coming clean and doing it God's way or doing what God wanted me to do, I fought until I got tired enough and then finally said, God, I surrender. I surrender all. My life is yours. Let's begin to do this differently. Now, beginning in verse 13... I wanted to set this up with this. This next section from chapter 1, verse 13 to chapter 2, verse 4 is really about two main things. One, the importance of having the right people in our lives. And, and I, I just want to stop and say this again because obviously we, we share this a lot. I think it's an important biblical principle that obviously one of the things in my life that I can bring into my life that's going to give me second wind, refreshment, encouragement, help me to keep on keeping on, is when I have the right kind of people in my life. So a lot of what Paul's going to say here is going to just remind us about that fact. And, and I just want to stop here just, just for all of us to be challenged by this. Because also one of the things that can be a drag on us spiritually, that can drain us spiritually, that can sap us of energy rather than renewing our energy is having the wrong kind of people close to us. And so all of us throughout our Christian life, we have to evaluate our friendships and our relationships. And we really have to ask ourselves, am I surrounding myself with people who are going after God like I want to? Because if that's the case, then there will be that mutual encouragement that Paul's going to get ready to talk about that was true with him and the Corinthians. Because that's how God designed it. That God said when, when the right kind of Christ followers get together, they just feed off of each other and they're just fuel for each other and they just keep each other going. And when one falls, the other one's there to pick them up. And then when they fall, there's another one there to pick them up. And they just sort of look after each other and move through life and move towards Christ throughout their life. But if you and I surround ourselves or we allow in our inner circle or close to us people that aren't going after God and yet we're trying to go this way and yet we're still trying to navigate them going the opposite way, it's going to put an unbelievable drag on, our, on us spiritually. Now obviously, the Bible wants us to have associations with people that don't know Christ. How else can we be a light and share Christ with them? I'm not talking about that. Paul's talking about somebody who's influencing us, somebody who's an example, somebody who's a model, somebody who can encourage me with the comfort that God gives to them. Well, if they're not a Christian, they don't even know about the comfort that God could give to them. So when I get in a tough spot, who do I turn to? I usually turn to Christians. That's why for many of us, even before we became a Christian, when we got into those crisis times of life, usually we didn't look for somebody who we worked with or a family member or a friend or whatever that was far away from God, we were looking for somebody that would pray for us. We were looking for somebody that went to church. We were looking for somebody that knew their Bible because we get it. 
We understand that. That's how important it is. And that's what Paul's saying here. But the other thing is this. It is important that we have the right kind of people in our lives. But there also comes that point that no matter, even if we have the right kind of people in our lives, there is still the power of our individual walk with God. And there's times, just like Paul's going to point out, where he had pressure put on him, even by well-meaning Christians, to go a certain way. And yet God was leading him to go another way. And he had to be okay with that because he was living by his own convictions. He wasn't living off of somebody else's convictions. And he wasn't overly dependent on others. Obviously, we need to have that, those relationships where we mutually encourage each other. But not to the degree where we can't make a move without some of their approval. Or making sure it's okay with them. Because ultimately, we're not living for them. We're living, as the song says, for the audience of one. And that is God. And we've got to learn to develop our own convictions and walk with God ourselves and have enough confidence in being able to listen to our shepherd's voice that if God, Jesus, is calling us to go this way and the rest of our Christian friends, as well-meaning as they are, saying, no, Jeff, I think you should go this way, that we have enough confidence and and, and everything that we're going to go with Jesus. And we'll let God sort of help them to figure it out later on if they even will and so paul's talking about that as well that's why paul told the philippians work out your own salvation he's saying to them you guys have become so dependent on me in philippi that you can't make a move in your christian life without checking with me and and here's what god wants to do in our lives both him as our heavenly father and with even good mentors and examples in our life we do have to get to the point where we allow God and we allow others, in a sense, to take the training wheels off of our spiritual life. Because it's very necessary and it's very good to sort of, once we become a Christian, and we are a new Christian, to sort of like you ride the bike, you have the training wheels on. That's good. That's, that's that extra comfort we need at that point. But obviously we all know, any of us who ever rode bikes, that if you just kept the training wheels on the whole time, there's so much out there that you could explore with the bike and so many places you could go that you couldn't go if you kept the training wheels on. And God doesn't want to keep the training wheels on for the rest of our life. He wants us to be free to enjoy and experience life as He designed for us. So there's going to come a point where with others and with God, God is going to say, now let's take the training wheels off and let's let's go out a little bit further than you're used to. And though you might not have somebody right behind you, you know, balancing the, the bike spiritually for you, it's okay. And if you fall down, it's okay. Let's get back up. Maybe you'll skin your knee. We'll put a band-aid on it and we'll keep moving out. The problem is... Many Christians never want to take the training wheels off, and yet they want to experience the abundant life that Christ has come to give us. And that's only going to happen, folks, when you and I, by faith, have enough confidence in God's leading in our lives where we say, okay, God, I'm ready to take the training wheels off. And even though I've got these wonderful people in my life, I can't always, nor should I always, take my cue from them. Ultimately, I need to learn to take my cue from you And then have them be sort of a confirmation of you. So, with all of that said, look at what Paul says in verse 13. That was a long introduction for this passage, wasn't it? He says, For we do not write you anything other than what you can read and also understand, but I hope that you will understand completely. Just as also you have partly understood us, that we are your source of pride, just as also 
are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. In other words, when all is said and done, Paul is saying, we're going to be praising God because of you and how God used us in your life. And, and you're going to be praising God for how God used us in your lives. And again, it's that mutual benefit that good Christian relationships should have. So notice in verse 15, and with this confidence, I intended to come to you first so that you would get a second opportunity to see us. And though your help to go on into Macedonia and then from Macedonia to come back to you and be helped on our way into Judea by you. Therefore, when I was planning to do this, I did not do so without thinking about what I was doing, did I? Or do I make my plans according to mere human standards so that I would be saying both yes, yes, and no, no at the same time. But now I want you to jump up to verse 23. Now I appeal to God as my witness that to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth. Now, here's just what Paul's saying. Like us, Paul was misunderstood. We get that. We're misunderstood. And here was the misunderstanding. Even in the language, Paul never guaranteed that he was going to go to Corinth. He just shared in the first letter of the Corinthians to them that he planned, that he intended to go. He thought that's the way God was leading at the moment. So he wrote them saying, I think, I'm planning, I'm, I'm you know, intending on coming to Corinth. When Paul turned around in, in between that time and said, I don't think that's where God is leading me, then they began to question And then all these false teachers and people that were against Paul and people that were against Christ tried to use Paul's change of plans to then even pull down the message that Paul brought to them. That's why Paul in just a minute is going to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just because I changed my mind through, again, giving God freedom to to move and whatever, it's okay for Christians sometimes to have their plans changed. It's okay to plan on doing something, but maybe give God the freedom to change those plans. And that's what Paul's explaining to the Corinthians. But they were being influenced by others against Paul and basically using his change of plans as then a way to, to sort of gossip and slander and whatever. Say, oh, Paul, you're just fickle. And because you're fickle, the message you're bringing, we can't trust it either. And so Paul had to take some time to set things straight and so so again don't miss what paul's doing here he's saying look you and i as christians it's great to have the right kind of people in our lives and he thought that the corinthians were those type of people but at the same time he wasn't going to allow the pressure that the corinthians were putting on him to come to corinth to override what he knew god wanted him to do which was not go to corinth at this time So again, there has to be that balance in our lives as we navigate the Christian life and keep that second wind going where we do allow other Christians, the right kind of people, to encourage us but where we don't get to the point where we are overly dependent on them and we can't make a move without making sure it's okay with them. Because even the greatest Christians in the world, we're still human. We still can make mistakes and ultimately our cue has to come from God and then be confirmed by other Christians. So Paul here is working through some things. And we all in our life. Part again what, what saps us of our, of our wind and our energy. Is relationship issues. Man if we could go through life without any, ever having any relationship issues. We'd all be okay. I'd probably still have hair you know. Uh, 
who knows? I'd probably look 20 years younger. You know, relationships are huge. And again, there is that extreme where relationships can be some of the greatest things in the world, the the greatest blessings here on earth. Many of them are the people that we meet and, and the time we spend with certain people and people that we'll never forget and who've made a lasting impression and impact on our lives. And even to this day may still... It's huge. There's no doubt we cannot underestimate and undervalue that. But at the same time, we all know that there are people throughout our lives that they probably shortened our lives by a few years. They they just drain us. They just sap us. They they just, you know, and, and that's why we have to be careful. That we balance out, it's not that necessarily we don't have any touches with, with very draining people, but we better make sure that if we're allowing draining people to drain us a little bit, that we're also intentionally surrounding ourselves with resourceful people who are encouraging, refreshing, and building back. Because what I run into a lot here at Cornerstone and, and, and nowadays are even well-meaning Christians who are out there allowing even family and friends and whatever just to suck them dry. And they've got nothing left. Folks, that's not what God intended. That's why books like Boundaries and Safe People by Cloud and Townsend are so important, those principles, because they're biblical. It's sometimes... God is not honored by toxic relationships. God is not honored by abusive relationships. God is not honored by unhealthy, unsafe relationships. So it's okay for us, even as a Christian, to go, no, I won't allow you to do that to me anymore. I'm distancing myself from you. I'm not allowing you that access to me because you are draining me. But I will very intentionally look out for people who are going after God and who can encourage me and refresh me. And that's what Paul is balancing here. He's saying, guys, things were good, but the bottom line was I had to take my final cue from God of whether I arrived in Corinth or not. Now notice in verse 16, I love this though. In verse 16 he says, through your help, I was going to go on to Macedonia. And that phrase, through your help, means supplied to go further. Again, it's a great picture. That there are certain people in our lives, as we rub up against them, in a sense they supply us spiritually, emotionally, and physically to go further. To have that second wind, that renewed energy and effort. And hopefully every one of us in this room has a desire in our hearts to be that second wind for others when God brings them to us. That hopefully, you know again, not that we can always be up. Not that, not that we can't go through tough times, but, but ultimately, on the whole of our life, we want to be that encourager. We want to be that person that refreshes and encourages others. We want to be that person that when God brings people into our life, we supply them with something to go further. And then the word Macedonia, I don't think is an accident, because the word Macedonia means extended land. It, it'd sort of be like saying Long Island. You know, New York, extended out there. And so it's this beautiful picture of as I go further, as I extend out to to new territory, there's certain people that I know I need in my life who's going to supply me with what I need to go further than I've ever went before. For many of us as human beings and, and Christians, 
one of the most important choices and decisions we will make is what kind of people we will allow into the inner circle of our life. The right kind of people can help us realize our dreams. The wrong kind of people can help discourage those dreams. And that's what Paul's saying. So that's why he goes on to say, then from Macedonia to come back to you and again be helped, supplied to go further on our way into Judea to go forward. See, Paul recognized, I can't do this on my own. I need to, in a sense, pull up to the pit stop of God every day and allow God to renew me so that I don't tend towards discouragement and despair. And many times what God will use, the instruments that God will use is other people. So Paul said, I had to always be very intentional as I was out there ministering and on my missionary journey of making sure that I pulled into the right pit stop and got refueled by the right kind of people so that I could keep on going forward and keep that second wind going. One of the desires of my heart for the last five years in teaching the Mind Bible Study on Tuesday is that the mind would be a place where people could get a second wind. That as we dive into the Bible, this would be a place where we would open up the Word of God and just unleash the Word of God one verse at a time and allow God to take His Word and to renew us and refresh us and encourage us. So then he goes on to say this in verse 18. He says, look, you may be trying to lump all this together. My change of plans with, well, I'm fickle, which means that my message and what I shared with you about Christ is contradictory and not consistent as well. And Paul wanted to make sure that the false teachers didn't have something to latch on to. He's saying, look, just because I had a change in plans doesn't mean I'm an unspiritual man. In fact, it means just the opposite. That I was open to the leading of the Spirit in my life. And when I was convinced that God did not want me to come back to Corinth... I listen to his voice. So that's why in verse 18 he says, God is faithful. God is trustworthy. He is reliable. And our message to you is not yes and no. It is not a message of mixed signals and lack of clarity. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the one who was proclaimed among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy. And there again he reminds us of this team effort. That it wasn't just Paul out there by himself. He was part of a team where we encourage each other. Was not yes and no, but it has always been yes in him. In other words, Paul is saying we presented a consistent message of who Jesus was. And just because I've changed my mind about my plans to come to Corinth doesn't reflect anything on what we shared with you about Jesus. For notice he goes on in verse 20 to say, For every one of God's promises are yes in him. Boy, if you've got a highlighter or mark your Bible, highlight that one. All of God's promises are yes in Jesus Christ. Meaning they are true, they are assured, they are trustworthy, they are reliable. One of the greatest things you and I can do as Christians is wake up every day, find a promise of God, write it down or commit it to memory, and go through the day with a promise of God. God wants us to know His promises. Do we know His promises? What are your favorite promises from the Bible? Begin to make a journal or a list of the promises that God has given to you and live by those promises because they are true. You can bank on them. You can count on them. That's why we can have that hope, that confidence, because our, our life 
is set on a God who won't change his mind and will always back up his word. That's why he goes on to say, therefore, also through him, the amen, and the word amen just simply means something that's firm and faithful. That's why every once in a while when you hear somebody say amen in church, it just means, yep, what they said, yep, I get it, that's right. Yeah, there we go. Is spoken to the glory we give to God. But it is God, notice, who establishes us together with you in Christ. Now notice here, as Paul ends up chapter 1, Paul now again is going to remind him of some things that hopefully will give him a second wind. And one of the things Paul reminds him is here, God will establish you. The word means to strengthen. God's going to strengthen you. He's going to establish you. He's, he's in a sense, going to, going to dig deep enough that when he plants you, again, you won't be moved. It's what God wants to do in our lives. Strengthen us. But notice how this takes place. This takes place, folks, in community. Don't miss that. Verse 21, very important. It is God who establishes us together with you in Christ. See, see, there's a movement amongst even Christians today where they've bought into, I think, a satanic philosophy and teaching that I can be a Christian and I don't have to be a part of a church, a community of believers. Not biblical. Because, first of all, spiritual growth doesn't take place in a vacuum. And second, the strengthening and establishment of God doesn't take place in a vacuum. That's clear in 2 Corinthians 1.21. You and I can't argue with that. It's as clear that a child can understand that. When God strengthens us and establishes, He does it with us together. In community with each other. Because God doesn't want us to be out there on our own. He wants us to be part of a community. A local church somewhere of believers who are going after God. And then God uses all of us to strengthen one another as we get together, go after God, and mutually encourage each other. Part of the reason why, as leaders at this church, we are just focused on this three to be encouraging people to grow is because if we're part of a church where 50% of us is growing and the other 50% isn't then how strong can we be when half of the church isn't even growing see we've got to get more people into the mine in our small churches and our men's ministry and our women's ministry and our small group ministry we've got to because It's going to be good for all of us. The more people we can have at this church and any church who are growing in an environment where they're growing and being stretched and whatever, the whole body benefits. The whole church becomes stronger. You and I will become stronger if we have more people at this church who buy in to the concept of spiritual growth and maturity. We'll all benefit because there are people out there yet to use their gifts and abilities and talents and how God is given them the things to do to make any kind of a contribution because they're not growing. So we've got to get people to grow. God wants to strengthen us, but He wants to strengthen us in community. And then Paul says God also wants to anoint us. This word anointed simply means furnished with what is necessary. In the Old Testament, 
when God would anoint a king or a priest, it was always surrounded with the idea that when God anointed someone, he furnished them with what was necessary. Because in anointing, he was calling them to a certain role or office. And God was reminding them, as I anoint you, don't worry about carrying out your office. Your responsibility. Because I will furnish you, David, the king of Israel, with everything you need to be the king of my people. I will furnish you, Samuel, with everything you need to be a prophet to my people. See, that's what God does when he anoints us. And, And God doesn't just anoint people in the Bible. God anoints us today. He furnishes us with every resource we need to carry out the responsibilities that God has called us to. And in this context, he furnishes with everything we need to get that second wind to keep on going. And then, not only does he establish us and anoint us, but look at verse 22. He seals us. Seals us with the Holy Spirit. In fact, in this context, the Holy Spirit is also the greatest thing he ever did in the anointing. He furnished us with what we need in the... He gave us His Spirit to live within us. You can't get any greater furnished than that. But even with that, God says, and by the way, He sealed you. A seal in biblical times was a mark of ownership as well as security. And again, God is saying through Paul to the Corinthians and us, hang in there. Let God renew you. Let God refresh you. Let God encourage you. And then begin to encourage, refresh, and strengthen one another in the community at Corinth, in the community at Chandler. And remind yourself every day of the promises of God that are true and reliable that can keep us going. And remind ourselves that God wants to strengthen us. He's already anointed us and furnished us with everything we need to keep going. And He has sealed us. We are His. We are His children. He will protect us. We are secure. We are stable in Jesus Christ. In Him, we have all things. And we'll pick it up there next week. Let's close in prayer. God, thank You. Thank You, Lord, for overriding microphones and screens and teeth. Thank you for overriding discouragement and despair. Thank you for bringing us through little trials. And thank you, God, for bringing us through unbelievable trials in our life. And God, you've given us in this book, in this letter from Paul to the Corinthians, what we need as Christians to get that second wind, that renewed energy to keep on keeping on. So God, use this semester in all of our lives, to renew that energy within us and allow us, God, to just keep on moving forward so that we have the ability and the strength to also encourage others along the way. And maybe even later this week, we will run into a fellow Christian or even someone that doesn't know God yet who has fallen. They're down. They're down for the count. And God, you want us to begin to give them hope Refresh them and encourage them. Oh God, give us those opportunities of your grace. And continue to renew us, Lord, we pray in the coming days. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I love you. Have a great week. See you next Tuesday.